Hello, this is Yaro, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today's guest is Lane Emmon. Hey there, thanks for downloading today's episode of the EJ podcast. I'm going to press play in a moment on the interview with Lane, where you're going to hear her explain her entire step-by-step journey to set up a six-figure blog all about scrapbooking. Before that, though, I'd like to invite you to sign up for the EJ Podcast email newsletter. If you go to interviewsclub.com and enter your email address onto the form on that page, I'll then send you an email each time I release one of these EJ Podcast interviews, as well as a series of my very best podcasts from the archives. That's interviewsclub.com. Now, here is the interview with Lane. Today's guest came from an email, actually, uh, initially just out of the blue, and she asked me about uh, taking part in a guest posting uh, group contribution, which I have to say is you know something that commonly happens, but what was uncommon about this particular email is that it started with a little background story of how uh, this person was in contact with my work and actually had built a six-figure blog Uh, in the scrapbooking world. So that certainly caught my attention. Anytime there's a story to tell where someone makes $100,000 a year with a blog and somewhere in the past we connected, I have to hear that background story. So I'd like to introduce you today to Lane Amen. Thank you for joining me, Lane. I am so excited to be here. Thank you, Yarrow. So when you say uh, a six-figure business, people get confused by what that means. So uh, just to clarify, you, are, you at least you used to be, and I, I believe you still are, the founder of you know layoutaday.com, which is a scrapbooking blog. And I've just been kind of digging into what you have today. Now, I know you told me you kind of moved forward from this project, but I'm seeing a, a lot of products for sale. You look like you have like a, a whole bunch. So can you explain, even if you're not so much doing it today, but during when when this blog was your main focus, you know, what, what, what was it about? How did you make money? Sure. Up until last year. So we're recording this, um, fall of, of 2000 or fall in the Northern hemisphere, September of 2016. So up until about a year ago, late 2015, I ran a um, membership site for scrapbookers. I produced online events that were like one day events where people would pay a flat fee and get access to anywhere from eight to 12 classes on scrapbooking, arts and crafts, things like that over a one day live. And then also I put together a monthly series of free webinars that we called quote unquote scrapinars as a list builder. So people would get free education in return. I would get their email address and it would build my list from there. So yes, I ran that for about gosh, five, six years. And then just in, in the beginning of this year, transitioned over to doing what I'm doing now, which is more um, business consulting strategy for other small business online entrepreneurs. Okay. And I believe uh, you took my program. Was that at the, like, would, did your blog exist back then? Or? No. So I had a, t- I had a type pad blog. So to go back in time, um, I had a history uh, as a journalist. I had written uh, for a number of different publications across um, business and marketing and mainstream media as well, like um, the Boston Globe, the San Jose Mercury News, Runner's World, Writer's Digest, all these different publications. I was a freelance journalist, 
And then, so this is up until mid 2000s. And then um, I started having kids and I started working less. And I discovered scrapbooking as a way to document my family's story. And being a writer, I loved being able to document their stories in a specific format and add the stickers and the color and the photos and really got into the hobby big time with my kids. And so I thought, geez, why am I not writing for these scrapbooking magazines? This was kind of the heyday of scrapbookings. There were probably four or five different print magazines. And so I approached some of them, started writing for them. And then, as most people know, um, the economics of, of print publications took a nosedive and many of those publications folded. So at that point in time, I was a contributing editor for one of the magazines. I had started a type pad blog just as a way to keep in touch with some of my readers. I was traveling around to teach scrapbooking. So I had a readership of maybe 500 or so people on type pad when the magazine that I was writing for, that I was an editor for, folded. So I thought, gosh, you know what? A lot of people are making businesses online. I wonder if I can figure out how to do that. So that's when I discovered Become a Blogger, and uh, it kind of moved on from there. It did, that was back in the day where there was not the one-click WordPress install. There weren't all these different plugins. You had to do everything through an FTP site. It seemed so overwhelming. And finding your course was was the beginning of it all in terms of building my own business, getting on my own platform, my own URL, owning the domain, all that um, came at, about as a result of what I learned from you and Gideon. Awesome. I'd love to dig into all kinds of pieces of that puzzle. So, yes. <laughs> um, let's, let's go back in time. So I, I, we've already heard that you were a journalist. Uh, if we go even further back in time, was there ever a period where you had any kind of entrepreneurship going in your life, any kind of business you started. I always joke with my guests, did you have a lemonade stand or did you sell, you know, baseball no, cards at the local market? It's so funny because I hear stories like that, like Gary Vaynerchuk selling the baseball cards when he's like nine years old and negotiating with these 40-year-old men. Right. Well, I used to, I was in Campfire Girls, which is like Girl Scouts or Girl Guides. And when we had to sell our candy, I would make my younger sister go up to the door and sell. <laughs> I was not a salesperson at all. Was that because you were shy? Or? Yeah, I just, I couldn't, I, I didn't, yeah, I wasn't shy, but I didn't want rejection. I didn't want to ask people to do something. And uh, yeah, that went on for some time. And then just, I always thought I would have a very traditional life in terms of working for some kind of financial institution, or I actually got a, a master's degree in public administration. I plan to go into government on the um, staff side, not on the politician side, but on the actual administration side, like a city manager or something like that. I worked in finance at uh, um, for a state government in, in the United States for uh, Massachusetts as a budget analyst. Um, I worked for a local government, and then all the time I was writing, and that's really my passion is writing. And when I met my husband, he said, why are you not a writer? I mean, this is what you do. You write all the time. And I thought, oh, I can't do that. Writers don't make any money, yada, yada, yada. And then, um, and then I just 
from there took baby steps towards becoming a journalist. And when I started my journalism, freelance journalism um, career, that was really my first foray into entrepreneurship. And even in my family, um, my dad worked for the same company for 40 some years, uh, was not an entrepreneur. He worked for Lockheed, uh, very much the, the company guy. And uh, there was nobody in my family who was an entrepreneur. Um, who was into business and marketing? Mm. So I don't, I don't know where it came from. <laughs> Can we timestamp what, what period? Like, were you looking at becoming a writer in terms of you know, making that decision? Okay, I need to figure out a way to make money from my writing. Right, right, right. So I was working in. Um, marketing communications for a large telecommunications company. And I grew up in the Silicon Valley, um, the San Jose area. And I got married in 95. My son was born in 1997. And at that point is when I went freelance. I, I um, had my son and then said, you know what, I'm going to try to make a career out of writing. And then I did that for about the next eight years or so. Had um, my, my second child in 2000. And then up until like 2004-ish, things were pretty good. And then Wait, the so bubble. I have to slow you down there. Like, <laughs> sure. there's, there's eight years there of I, I decided to become a writer and I made it work for eight years. So can you can you tell us? Like, I, there's so many people. Uh, even you know, it was 90, 96, 97. There wasn't internet back then. Obviously, it wasn't nearly what it is today. When you decide to become a writer, I know in my head, I think, well, maybe I'll write a book and it'll sell a lot and I'll make money from that, or maybe I'll become a journalist, which means I'll go back to university get a degree, and then try and get hired by a publication. So were those the kind of thoughts you were having, and what did you do? Not exactly, because um, because I knew that I didn't want to be a newspaper reporter per se. And even then, I think the, the freelance path was more um, attractive because I had so many different interests and, and so many different areas that I could write about from parenting to running to high tech. And so I bought the Writer's Guide, which is this Bible-sized phone book size publication because it wasn't online at that point and it would tell you all these different markets and what kind of articles they were looking for and I had to actually print out uh, my query letters which is like a proposal for the article put them in an envelope with a self-addressed stamped envelope and send them off to editors and then months later <laughs> I would get a reply so it was a very slow and tedious process compared to to what it is today. It's, it's incredibly different now. And um, the barriers to entry are so much lower now than they were then, which of course brings greater competition. But at that point in time, I wasn't looking to become a full-time staff writer. Um, it was more like, okay, I want to be a freelance writer and I want to write on what I'm interested in. So I actually did take a couple classes through, um, I was living in the Bay Area, so um, UC Berkeley Extension Program, um, Stanford had a writing program that I, I took a couple classes from and learned about the process of how to go about um, sending in queries and, and formulating queries and everything like that. So upon graduation, did that lead to getting some clients? So during the the classes that I was taking, they were just like one one class at a time. It wasn't a formal program or certificate or anything like that. But what I did do is I approached my local 
newspaper, the weekly paper that's given out for free, like at Starbucks and things like that, and and um, proposed writing some articles for them. And I think I got paid a nickel a word. It was really, <laughs> it was really, really a low, low, low price. But it got me what um, what I needed, which was experience and clips. So I could say, I could then go to a larger publication and say, here's some examples of my work. Um, so then I just kind of parlayed that up into larger and larger publications until I was getting noticed by some of the major parenting magazines. And um, I wrote for Christian Science Monitor and some big magazines and and newspapers and um, things like that because I had credits from smaller publications. Mm -hmm. They were willing to take a a chance on me. And what kind of topics? It was everything under the sun. A lot of what I wrote about um, from recurring clients was uh, sales and marketing. Interestingly enough, my husband was in sales at the time, and I was always reading his magazines about sales and marketing and found it just enthralling, kind of that in this intersection between psychology and, and communications and people skills. And so I wrote for Selling Power magazine for a number of years. I wrote for the local business journal Um, I wrote for, um, gosh, I'm trying to think now, a lot of high-tech publications that don't exist anymore, talking about everything from, um, at this time, it was kind of the height of the dot-com before the bust. So when would it be appropriate for your company to buy a blimp or sponsor a stadium or that kind of thing? (laughs) Wow. That that was the kind of thing I, I wrote about because companies had a ton of money and wanted to know what do I do? I want a blimp. I want to have that bus wrap. I want to have cars driving around with my logo on it. How do I do that? And why would I do that? So yeah, so it was pretty fun. Crazy time. It was. (laughs) Okay. So take us forward. You, you, did you, you didn't want full-time work, but it sounds like you certainly had a freelance part-time career as a writer for all kinds of print publications, not so much online yet. Correct. So going forward, did that sort of start to disappear as the internet became more prominent? Exactly. Well, what happened is that um, I was writing for um, the Industry Standard, which is a, a, a similar publication to Fast Company. It doesn't exist any longer. Um, so I had uh, I, w- I would uh, translate a lot of high tech ideas into uh, layman's terms because I'd kind of grown up around the technology speak, and so I could understand what the engineers were saying and make it understandable to the rest of us. So I had a specialty in that. And then at the same time, as that was kind of going away because of the dot-com bust right around 99, 2000, 2001, um, my kids were really young and I was doing a lot more with them. So the scrapbooking picked up. So I started writing more for the scrapbooking magazines. And then eventually I was only working maybe 10 hours a week, 15 hours a week, and transitioned over completely to writing for the scrapbooking magazines at that point. So... Just first question to clarify, what is scrapbooking for anyone who happens to not know what that is? So in my terms, um, there's my terms and then there's kind of a more uh, more widely held cultural view of what scrapbooking is. Um, I'll start with that one. So basically a scrapbook is when you take paper and decorative stickers and, and elements, um, could be little tiny brads or sequins or buttons or things like that, and you combine them with your photos and then you also accompany that with some kind of text or what in scrapbooking they call journaling to tell the story of what's going on in that that. Um, that photo. So it could be anything from a glorified photo album where you just have your pictures in there and throw, you know, a couple stickers on and write, this is Joe and Sally at their wedding. 
um, up to these very elaborate pages that are, are works of art. Like people might spend 10 to 20 hours on one page and it's really frame worthy. Um, for me personally, anytime someone combines a memory with a photo or a way to record that memory, it's a scrapbook. So to me, even photo books that people are doing now are scrapbooks. Instagram, if you have some context on your Instagram or even Snapchat, that to me serves the memory keeping um, uh, requirement. So I consider those a form of scrapbooking as well. But in general, the cultural definition is more of the physical book. Now there is digital scrapbooking as well. I focused on the physical book where you would print out your photos, put them on a page, decorate the page, add some story to it and put it in an album so people can enjoy it. Now you're not the first person I've talked to or heard of who eventually made a very, very good living from the scrapbooking industry. How did this happen? Because it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it still is a really, really large industry with a lot of bloggers and people creating support tools and selling products and services to support this market. So right. does that come out of nowhere or is that is that something that's always been around? I think it, it's been around in some format for a long time. Like my mom has had scrapbooks or, or, or um, photo albums where she'd have the little photo corners and she'd put her photos in there and the flower from her dance and that kind of thing. So that's a scrapbook. A lot of scrapbooking as we know it now has generated as a result of the Church of the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, because they hold it very, very, um, I guess you'd say critical as part of their faith. And I'm not LDS, but a lot of people in scrapbooking are, um, to record in a journal and to record your history because the lineage, just think about like, um, the, the genealogy that comes out of, out of Utah in the, the, uh, um, libraries where you can get assistance and tracking your, your history and your, your, um, ancestors. Um, that's all part of their faith. Now it's not that they have to scrapbook <laughs> to be Mormon, not that at all, but they hold family history very, very important. And so many of the current companies and the current larger name scrapbookers and the quote unquote scrapbook celebs are coming from that background. It's, it's spread since then. But when I started um, scrapbooking in the late 1990s, uh, a lot of it was based out of um, LDS companies and people who were really driving that and making it popular. That's interesting. I didn't know about the, the religious connection. I know. Yeah, it's really cool to see where it's where it came from and also how it's spread so far now. So take us forward with your own story with this. So you start writing about scrapbooking in these big scrapbooking publications. Yes. Now, they were print magazines, physical yes. in the real world, right? So, and we're talking early 2000s, is that correct? Yeah, mid, I would say at this point it's mid 2000s. Um, my daughter, my second child was born in, in 2000 and um, right around 2001, 2002 is when I started writing for them. And then by the mid 2000s is when I was full on traveling to teach at these conventions where I'd have a room of several hundred women that I was teaching a certain technique or, um, or approach to scrapbooking or creating a particular project. It was pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. This is just to clarify you, cause your previous writing was all over the place and it sounds right. like you kind of took a turn and became a scrapbooking expert, which yes. obviously played a big part with your blog in the future. Exactly. Here. So exactly. was that more because the writing offers you got drove you in that direction or did you just start scrapbooking because of you were having kids and you wanted to start documenting everything going on in your life? 
It, it was more the latter. I'm a natural teacher. So whatever I'm into at the time, I want to share with other people and learn as much as I can about it. And then, um, then help other people do it as well. It's just something I naturally want to do. So the more I got into scrapbooking, the more I was learning about it and the more other people were asking me about it. And then I was just, I wanted to share it because I was so, um, in love with the hobby itself. I mean, I'm not an artistic person, but I am a creative person. So the idea that I could create something really beautiful that, um, was a tribute to my family, like a love letter to my family. That's what these pages were for me. And um, they still are. My kids look at my albums all the time. It's really kind of funny that still now I've got an 18, almost 19-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 12-year-old. And their friends come over, and, and my little one particularly will pull out the album and say, let's look at me when I was a baby. I mean, they just they love it. And um, even my son, who's, who's 18 and away at college now, he really appreciates it. He doesn't uh, interact with them the same way as, as my girls do, but he definitely appreciates the stories that we've captured over the past years. So it was really a passion-driven um, thing that melded with opportunity, and then it said, okay, this is where I'm going to, this is where I'm going to focus for the next however many years. All right, so All right. T- talk us through the transition from clearly being an offline expert at scrapbooking right. and speaking at conferences, teaching at conferences, to transitioning to digital, going online with this. Yes. So when I was traveling around, people were starting to start blogs. Like TypePad had the free blog platform. And so I thought that would be a really cool way to share some of the things I'm working on and keep in contact with these people I'm meeting across the country um, that I may not see again for another year or two. So I started a blog in um, right around the mid-2000s, I would say, and it was on TypePad, and it was merely a way to share what creative projects I was working on. I was talking about knitting. I was talking about scrapbooking. There was not – it was heavily on creativity, but it wasn't like this is a scrapbooking blog. Um, and then when the magazine that I was writing for, that I was actually a contributing editor for, folded – I thought, okay, well, what would be my ideal job? What would I love to do? And it was really what I'd been doing. So I thought, is there a way I can continue to do that on my own without this this publication backing me? Can I offer those classes? Can I keep connecting with these people? Because they're out there. I know they want this material, and the magazine's no longer providing it. So can I provide that in some way? Now, your technical background to this point, you obviously figured out how to do a TypePad blog, but uh, you know, yes. what, what were you up against? <laughs> it was, it, I, even though I grew up in Silicon Valley and I understand a lot about technology, that doesn't mean I can do anything. <laughs> so it was, I, it was basically starting not from zero because I was, I could, I, I had an email account and I understood email and operating systems and I knew the language. So I wasn't somebody who had never turned on a computer before, but I was not someone who was writing code or built their own computer in their, their closet when they were six or anything like that. I'd never taken a computer class. Um, I knew basic Microsoft Word, Excel, etc. And so um, I was probably much more comfortable with the marketing and, and sales side of things than I was with the technology. And the technology was really the huge hurdle for me, which is why when I found Become a Blogger, it was like, oh, my gosh, they figured it out for me. All I have to do is go lesson by lesson and do exactly what they do. 
and it'll work. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's connect the dots then. So you had TypePad around sort of 2005, I'm guessing, because I actually had a, a movable type blog in 2004, which was the same thing <laughs> as TypePad, but it's the version you install on your own server. So we had a, a similar, I think, path at that starting point of blogging. Did you go for many years on TypePad before you came across my training with Become a Blogger, or what's the timeline there? It was probably, and I'm actually pulling it up now to see if I can see when it, when I first found it on there, um, my TypePad blog. Oh my gosh, it's so old. I'll have to, I'll have to look back. I'm going way before 2010. <laughs> it's going back, back, back. I'll have to look as we're talking here. Okay. But um, so I was on there probably for about a year, year and a half. And then even at the beginning, as I had in my mind that I was going to do um, some kind of business online, I kept writing on that blog until I was ready to um, to transition over. So it was it was there for a while. It was there for a while. And yeah. Do you remember how you discovered Become a Blogger, my, my course with Gideon? Oh my gosh. I, I don't. I don't. I was consuming everything I could find online about, um, about how to start a business. And I can't even, I couldn't even tell you how I originally found you. Most people say, oh, we got an email from somewhere when the course was opening and <laughs> you decided to join. So <laughs> we did release, I mean, I had a course prior to one with Gideon, but I released that, a free report um, with Become a Blogger called The Roadmap. So maybe you came across that. Now, can we put this into context because uh, you po possibly, since you're already the kind of person who pays for training, you know, you, you took those courses to be get better at writing and learn about that before you right. became a freelance writer. When you saw the opportunity to join Become a Blogger, and I think, uh, thinking back, I think we were charging 49 or 47 a month for the, the, the course. Um, is that something that you merely thought, that's an obvious choice for what I want to do? Or is it more a case of, this is the internet? I don't know if internet courses are <laughs> real and legitimate the way, you know, uh, University of Berkeley. Right. <laughs> you know, so what was your thinking at that point regarding? I was like, oh my gosh. This guy with the long hair, and <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't know. No, um, um, it was definitely a risk, like, j uh, just in terms of I'm gonna give them my either my PayPal info or my credit card info, I'm gonna do this. It, it was a big commitment because I wasn't making money at the time. Now, like 49 a month, it's it's almost laughable because of the 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 things I've invested in since then. But at the time, it was really um, it was really a risk. But based on the information, I mean, it was really the knowledge gap. Like I'm here, I don't know how to do this, this, and this. They see, say they'll teach me how to do this, this, and this. They've done it themselves, and I'm going to take this leap of faith. So take us through the process then. So you, you bought, bought Become a Blogger. Gideon mm -hmm. and I delivered all the videos. It was a video course. Um, yep. Now, you said you weren't technical. Did you do the steps yourself? Like you mentioned earlier, FTP. I did. Upload WordPress. <laughs> Is this the first time you bought a domain name? Oh, Set up yeah. WordPress, all those things? Yep. It was the first time I had done any of that. And I bet my domain name was probably like $25 or something, or $40. They weren't cheap back no, then. They weren't. <laughs> so, yes, I did it all myself and just walked step by step by step 
through what you provided. And there was a message board and there was support if we got stuck. And um, there were just, there were places where I know I reached out for help and I said, this is not looking the way it looks here. What did, what did I do? And I mean, it was not easy, but it, because it just, the process was complex and it was completely unknown to me. Now, if I were to have to install something I'd never installed before, I would have at least a background and a familiarity, but getting into the guts, I thought I was going to break the internet. Like I just really didn't know what might happen if I put the wrong thing in the wrong place. <laughs> so how did the blog itself go? Like, did you also follow the plan with, you know, writing pillar articles and publishing and, you know, doing marketing, and growing your email I list did. and all that? Yes. I did. I did everything that you instructed me to do. And I started doing video. And I remember at one point, I think it was a separate program that video that um, Gideon was launching, but I won an iPad from him because he was, was having some kind of contest or something and, and, uh, to leave a comment and the best comment was going to win an iPad. And, and I was like, well, it's a video course. So I'm going to record a video for this. And I ended up winning an iPad because it was the only one who had recorded a video comment. And I don't know, but anyway, I, I followed everything you said in terms of writing and in your story and his, um, his instructions on video. And yeah, it just, I was the only person doing this on their own in scrapbooking at that time. And it worked? It did. It did. So I started, when I had that TypePad blog, I think I had about 500 regular readers. And I launched my new blog and launched the email list. And I think I had almost, I had like couple hundred people actually subscribed to the email list, like 200 of the 500 that I knew were regularly reading on TypePad. And I was like, wow, 200 people, 200 people. I was, I was blown away. Like it just was incredible. And then I was writing regularly and I was sending it. I created an autoresponder series with like two years worth of weekly messages and I think people are still getting those now. <laughs> I mean, I did everything. I was working my rear end off. And I, I saw it as this big, like I've heard people talk about the millstone, like you're pushing the, the millstone or the flywheel and you got to get it going. And everything you do looks like it's not doing anything, but at some point it'll start to move and eventually it'll pick up enough momentum that it'll continue to move on its own. So that first year um, was really about doing everything I could to bring attention to what I was doing because there weren't, there weren't websites for scrapbookers. There weren't a lot of people, um, independently running business and businesses and scrapbooking. There weren't people with affiliate programs so I could promote other products. There wasn't any of that. And, um, they certainly weren't doing online events like I ended up doing. And, uh, so I was really and it sounds like I'm like, oh, it's so cool. Um, but I'm just trying to say I was out there hacking the bushes <laughs> with the machete, making the way. And I had this guidebook from you guys saying, okay, you know, there's water in this direction. Just keep going. <laughs> did you, how long did it take before the money started coming in? And, and where did that first income stream come from? So the first thing I had done is I wanted to do some kind of challenge that would stretch people and be um, be noteworthy or remarkable 
within the industry, but also be possible. So I was looking at NaNoWriMo, the National Novel Writing Month, and I thought that's a really cool idea and that's really pushing people outside their comfort zone. And I like the idea that even if you don't succeed, you still have, you have a level of success even if you don't finish. Um, so I was trying to think of something similar. And what I came up with, um, and this was back when I had the type head blog. I was trying to think of what I would do, like what my thing would be. And I came out with a layout a day for a month. And that's where the name of the blog came from layoutaday.com because that was my one and only idea <laughs> that, that I was like, okay, I'm going to do this and people will love it. <laughs> that was my, that was my plan. Okay. And, and I, um, had originally started it on TypePad just as a way to get attention. It wasn't a moneymaker, but then people were asking for more. They're like, okay, well, can you, cause it was really just, it was just do a layout every day and share it here. And then I started creating more of a course or a guided experience for people where I would give them a prompt for the day or I'd give them a challenge for the day or the month would have a theme. And this built up over time. It wasn't something that happened right away. Mm -hmm. But by the time I started the blog, it was more of a program that people would actually pay for, whereas previously it had been free. Okay, so there's a lot of components to go into selling something. Now, yes. how did you go from figuring out, first of all, to start a blog, and that's obviously... You know, you, you went through the steps with us with installing through FTP, getting the domain name, working on your <laughs> host server, getting your theme up and running, yes. and, and the hard part of getting your email opt-in box up and running right. as well. And uh, I'm assuming you were on Aweber for yes. your email list as well. Mm -hmm. So pretty yep. much the standard thing I was teaching and, and kind of still teach today, blog, email list, then you decide, followed this opportunity to run a competition layout a day now just quickly to clarify is layoutaday.com the blog that was back then as well or did you actually like is that is this the same one it is the same it's changed in terms of looks but all probably everything is still there i've changed it a little bit from a blog because i wasn't actively writing the way i was before mm -hmm. so um the front page is more of a static front page um, but it is the same site that okay. I launched. So that's the domain then. name you had. All right. Yes. Mm -hmm. So now you're deciding to sell something. That's a whole new <laughs> yes. hurdle for technology. Can yes. you take us through how you sold your first product? <laughs> so I had a PayPal account and okay. I told people, if you want to participate, send me, it was probably $20 for a month. $20, but it might have even been $10. Um, $10 if you sign up by Friday, then it's going to be $20. <laughs> there was probably scarcity built in there. And yeah, they just, they, um, there was no fancy, um, fancy setup to it at all. In fact, um, Nicole Dean, who I had done some coaching work with as I started expanding my business, she was telling me about, well, you could do a member and you could do wish list. And I was getting overwhelmed by the technology. I said, I, I said, I can't, I, I just, it's too much. And she said, well, let's just put up a PayPal button then. And we called it a ghetto. Like it was the ghetto version of a membership. <laughs> like it was a password protected, um, WordPress blog post uh -huh. and a PayPal button and, and everything else was manual. Like I would manually enter them into a Weber in the proper, list so they got the information and um it was really hacked together with with paper clips and rubber bands and, and what were you sending them like what was this ten dollars paying for so they would get a daily 
prompt for their, um, for the layout a day for the 30 days. And we did this a couple times a year for a while where there would be in February, I think it was February, May, and then October, we would, I would run this layout a day challenge. It was a month long challenge where they would create a layout every day for the month. I had a prompt for the month that might say, okay, think of a time when your kids reminded you of how you were when you were little. And that would be the scrapbook page they would create. Or it might be color-based. Um, it might say, use um, only primary colors on your page. It was really intended as a way to encourage people to get outside their their comfort zone and stop thinking about the page has to be perfect and really just scrapbooking. And so... Um, so you were selling coaching then, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I was, but I didn't know it. I probably would have charged more if I'd known that. <laughs> so, um, and then there was a community aspect. We had a Flickr gallery and a message board on Flickr where people could comment. And it would, again, it was really hacked together. There was no fancy platform. There was no one, one stop where they could see everybody else's stuff and comment. And they had to go here for the prompt. They had to go there for, to upload their, their image. They had to go to the message board to comment. It was really not a streamlined process, but nobody else was doing anything like it, particularly in scrapbooking and particularly independently. So a lot of people who are longing for that connection and community started coming to my site and taking the challenge. Now, did you get rich from all those $10 a month sales? <laughs> well, it actually, it, it actually turned into, I didn't get rich from that. I'm still not rich. I just, like I mentioned, I have a son who just went off to college, so I am very poor right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was enough to keep me out of an office, which is what my goal was. I don't want to go work for somebody else. I don't want to go sit in a cubicle I want to do my own thing. I want to leave in the middle of the day to go to my daughter's pumpkin carving thing at school and then work late at night to make up the time. And it just gave me unbelievable flexibility. And I was able to, I have three children now, and I think I mentioned my youngest is 12. I was home for all of their childhoods. And I did bring in outside help where I had a sitter or a nanny at times because if I'm doing interviews for a high-level business publication, I didn't want the kids screaming in the background. So I had help, but I was home. And that was really my goal. If they fell down, I was the one who put the Band-Aid on their knee. Right. If they needed mom, mom was there. And they also got to see me working and doing my own thing, and that was really good um, for them to mm. see well so it was a great role model do you remember a ballpark figure like we're talking because this is not your only product but that first one is right. obviously the scariest one for most right. people do you yes. remember 10 people signed up 100 what, what that was I had right around i think i had like two like i was saying 200 ish people on my list and i want to say i had a i want to say i made at least um like 1500 dollars from that first one because it was enough for me to say this is real right is real. yeah, yeah. $1,500 for a month is not a ton of money, but $1,500 when you created this out of nothing is really cool. Now, you grow this, you grew it into a 100000 plus yeah. a year income stream. So, could you, how do you go from 1500 a month to 100000 a year? So, when it started being really clear that this was something people wanted, and I was offering it a couple times a year February, March, October, or February, May, October. Because it takes a lot of prep work. It's not like I just show up. I mean, these are really full-blown classes and 
um, in, at the end, the last one I did, there was a video every day. I had other people doing sample layouts. So I had like a design, we call them design teams, people who were assisting in, in, in giving sample layouts. Um, there are prizes, there's all this stuff. So there's a lot more to it than just sending out an email every morning. So I wasn't able to do it every single month. And plus I wanted it to be a special thing. But what was really interesting is people were coming to me and saying, we created such a tight community that when we call it load, layout a day, load, when load is over, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm bereft. I feel so disconnected. I'm longing for my, my friends. So of course me being a marketer in the back of my mind, I was like, Ooh, market opportunity. I started a membership site Mm -hmm. where people could connect in between these load events and they would get free entry into the event as part of their membership. So the membership was really inexpensive. I think it started at like, it was well under a hundred dollars a year. I want to say 60 or $70 um, at the beginning. And even at the end, it was not, it was, I ended up selling that, that membership um, group to someone. Um, But even when at the very end, it was still like $120 a year or something like that. But that gave me the recurring revenue where it's like, okay, they pay me once and I've got, you know, they pay me $99 for the year and I've got 250 members in here. Well, that's huge. Um, so that was the second product or the second revenue stream that I implemented. So we had the regular, um, challenges three times a year and those were growing because people would tell it is one of those things that it naturally spread the word spreads. Um, because people would say, well, what are you doing? Where you're creating a lot of pages this month. Oh, I'm taking this challenge. And then the word would spread. So, um, at times we had 500 plus people participating in that, that, uh, monthly challenge. And then we went to the membership site and, when How did I you, uh, build the membership site, by the way, it wasn't just a PayPal button. <laughs> you would be surprised <laughs> for a long time. It really was just, um, just a password protected WordPress blog. And I had a membership site, like bulletin board plugin, but it was not well used. And so we ended up moving over to Facebook because everybody was there already. So we had a private, private Facebook group. And then we would just post information and send it out via AWeber and, and, um, stay in touch that way. But most of it's going to Sorry, at the peak, you had 500 ish members in this membership site, but it was a Facebook group and an email list. Does that basically summarize Uh, it? So 500 people plus in the layout a day challenge, Uh um, probably about half of that in the membership group at its peak. And it was, it was an email list. It was the Facebook group. And then there was a WordPress protected blog where they get some exclusive content and some audios and and videos and things like that. That's fantastic. And to fill that, all those customers, that was a hundred percent just your blog post. You were writing your blog and they found you, they word of mouth shared and they took part in the competition and, and that's it. Well, there was others. I was doing a lot of YouTube videos. I did a ton of YouTube videos. I started a podcast. I, um, I taught classes on some other platforms from, for some larger, uh, education sites, not a ton of that, but a couple of those that helped get the word out. And then, um, there were things like blog hops back in the day where you'd, you'd find other people by connecting on, on the blogs and stuff like that in the email list. 
<laughs> sounds like you were an expert in your field who was just going out there and, and spreading the word using all exactly. the different mediums. Exactly. I was saying, I'm going to do anything. It was that motto of, I'm going to do stuff that other people can't or won't do. Okay. So now I know you, like you said before, you sold off that membership. So can you take us forward? So this is starting to clearly work. And, and if you're making 100000 a year, I'm sure there's some people listening to this thinking, you know, why did you decide to sell it? And, and what, you know, what happened uh, that led you to do what you do today, which is more yes. of a consulting service business for, for marketers. Yeah. So yeah, take us through the transition. So one big revenue stream that I want to mention, because people might be doing the numbers and they're thinking these don't add up, is in, I think it was 2011, I started with the events. The one day, they actually started as two-day events, where I w- reached out to a lot of the um, big name scrapbookers who had be- had become friends and colleagues of mine from my time at the magazine. And I said, you know what? I've got this idea of doing some kind of online event that where we, we, it's like one of the conferences we used to travel to, but doing it online and I'm not sure what it's going to look like and I don't know how it's going to work, but you know, it's going to be really cool. Will you trust me? And because they knew me, they were willing to take a risk on that. So I think it was spring of 2011, I did the first event and that was where the bulk of my income started coming from. And that's when I started reaching out to other people with affiliate programs and things like that because I wanted a way to compensate the instructors and so they received an affiliate share um, for for uh, sales that they referred. So that started 2011 and, and that was a huge revenue stream right. bigger than the other ones. So how does that, that, that was online, was it? Or was that? Yes, okay, so that, it was online. Was like webinars so, or? Yeah, it was just like, a, you know, now there's all these summits, um, tele-summits uh, back in the day were the audio ones. Mm-hmm. And I was like, audio is not going to work for scrapbookers. We don't want to listen. We want to see. And the technology at that point was just getting to the point where you could have a stable connection and, and be able to bring multiple people on and that kind of thing. So, um, was it Google Hangouts or what was, Oh, this is pre Google Hangouts. So I actually invested, this was my number one biggest expense over my whole career was investing in Cisco's WebEx event center because it was at times, depending on what I opted for storage wise, it would be $600 a month. Wow. And Aweber soon caught up <laughs> with this, but <laughs> not quite. <laughs> and I needed the stability. There were certain things I had to have for our room. I had to be able to bring, I had to be able to stream pre-recorded uh, video content, which was very rare for platforms to be able to do that back in 2011. They could do live video, but I wanted the instructors to pre-record their courses because nobody wants to literally watch paint dry. <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted them to record the video. It'd be a half an hour class, half an hour to 40 minutes. They would edit, make sure the sound was good, make sure it was full of chock full of content. Um, then we would have hour long sessions back to back for a day and sometimes two days. So people would get between eight and 15 courses for one flat fee. Wow. Well, how much did you charge? It was anywhere from, you know, fast action bonus um, between 79 and 199 depending on how many days the course was and when people purchased and that kind of thing um, and how many courses were included, the one day versus two days. And I would bring in from those events anywhere from um, 15000 to 40000 um, as, uh, I would say, 
that would be gross, that would be net of its ex expenses, but before paying affiliates. And you did that once a year or twice a year? I did that multiple times a year. So um, two to three times a year. It started just once. So this is one thing I want to make clear to the audience is I didn't do all this stuff at once. It was all layered on over time. I started with that dumb Typepad blog and this, this you know, the paperclip and rubber band <laughs> version of my course. Yeah. And then I added more and then I added the membership site and then I added the events and then I added multiple events. And so it was not like I woke up one day and, and had this. It was a ton of work, but I took each step as I was ready to take the next step. So it wasn't. Okay. So to summarize, you have a blog <laughs> and an email list that was the foundation to begin yes. with, which you built yourself. Uh, then the first product you ever did was this sort of group competition, but it really was coaching where you, t you right. were guiding people through a month-long process of creating scrapbooks. And then you realized there was a need for a community, so you, in between those competitions, so you started a membership site. And to that point, you were still basically using just the PayPal button to make payment and then sending people to some sort of password-protected page yes. once they bought and possibly giving them some content through email as well. So you didn't have right. any complex membership system. Then no. things got a bit more tricky when you started doing these kind of like live events with other teachers involved, a bit more expensive live streaming uh, and and sounds like they were you know almost like a conference online for a day or two two or three times a year and that added more income and that's so combining those three things is what took you over to sort of six figures a year exactly exactly and um yeah it was it exactly was an online conference and if you think about who scrapbookers are they're typically moms um, that's why we're scrapbooking. It's not always true, but I would say 90%, 80 to 90% at that time were moms in my audience. It is so hard for us to get away for an hour-long class, let alone a weekend seminar. So people loved the ability to log on from wherever they were, get access to teachers that would never travel together because I was bringing in people from all over the world, um, New Zealand, Australia, UK, the United States, and they were appearing together. And so there were a lot of unique aspects to what I was doing. And then I also recorded it. So as, a, as any kind of craft, you see somebody do something and then you want to do it yourself. But then you're like, okay, did she do this? Did she hold the pen this way? Did she cut it this way? With this, they could go back and rewatch that session over and over again. So there were a lot of really cool things to what I was doing. That is cool. And, and I love the fact that you basically took what you were an expert at from previous experience offline just spending a lot of time doing this yourself mm -hmm. and you were a bit of a pioneer creating this as digital content and then you know you turn it into a full-time income stream uh now i can see though now that you've kind of told me all the different income streams how this might have eventually led to you kind of getting burnt out if you had to organize three conferences yeah. a year three <laughs> competitions and coaching a year plus keep a membership site in you know right. active and, and going so what did you reach a point where you said i just want to leave this and maybe sell off the entire business or what happened right so the other thing that was happening is my kids were getting older, so all those fun things we used to scrapbook about, like the trip to the pumpkin patch, like their first tooth, like this, like that, our family was still doing stuff, but it wasn't the kind of stuff that we necessarily would scrapbook. Um, and so so my family was entering a different stage. Does that mean our memories are any less important? No, but it meant that they weren't as easy to scrapbook. And so personally, I found myself 
capturing our family's memories in different sort of ways. And then, you know, you layer in Facebook and, and replace in social media, it's replacing a lot of blogging. And I just was personally approaching scrapbooking differently. So there was that element. And then there was also the element of, you know, I honestly don't care what color cardstock people use on their pages. My approach was always more about storytelling. Tell your story, tell your family's story, capture those memories about you and your life that you think you will never forget because someday you will forget them. And it had very little to do with the um, fashion driven trends of scrapbook manufacturers, whether green is in this year and blues out. It's just like the, the fashion world where certain things are trendy and that held no interest for me at all. So I found myself a bit out of step with the industry as a whole because more and more companies were coming online and starting their blogs. And so competition was ramping up and barriers to entry were lower, as we mentioned earlier. So, um, so I was finding myself having to work harder and harder to get the same level of income at the same time, losing a lot of that core passion that had driven me in early days where I felt like I have said everything I can say about scrapbooking. I don't have anything new or fresh to say. And to me, that's, that's the death knell where if I'm bored, if I'm frustrated, I'm just ready to move on to the next thing. I felt like, okay, I climbed this mountain. I've been on the top admiring the view for some time. It's time to go climb a different mountain. So at that point, is it, okay, what do I do with my, my whole business now? <laughs> exactly. Because it is a six-figure business. It's not a part-time hobby that's bringing in $1,500 a month that I could go work at Starbucks and replace. It's a significant portion of our family's income. So what do I do? And so I struggled with that for a while. I tried doing some personal coaching. Um, and that is a difficult field because there's so many people in it and it's difficult to make yourself stand out and then also people just the idea that you have to educate people on why they need you versus selling something that people already know they want and need um so it wasn't it didn't quite fit and i tried a couple different things i tried more business coaching and that wasn't really exactly what i wanted to be doing either because i'd get really frustrated because i'm such an action taker if you can't tell i would get frustrated when we'd I'd have a session with somebody and I'd say, you know, what are you going to do this next week? And then they'd come back the next week and, well, I couldn't do it. And, uh, you know, the cat was sick or, you know, I just, I, I would get too frustrated. And did, so did you think though that you could just sell the entire business and make maybe, you know, a hundred, 150, $200,000 and, and then, you know, have a year or two of cash to sort of think about this or was that, you know, I, I thought about that. It, but there weren't at the same time, the scrapbooking industry has been contracting. So did you sell the membership site? Yeah, I did sell the membership site and that was more of a, a love exchange than a monetary exchange because I felt so connected to these people at this point. This was last year. So it's five years, six years of, of connecting with these people, really being a family with them. We had family, we called them family reunions once a year where we get together and for a weekend. So I didn't want to just sell it to somebody who was going to, it's like Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory in the, the original, like he wants to sell it to somebody or give it to somebody who's going to take care of it mm -hmm. and make it more of what it already is. Mm -hmm. And so there was a woman in my community who approached me about possibly 
running it for me. And I said, well, why don't you just take over? And so, um, so that's what happened. Yeah. So she, I did get a little money out of it. Um, not probably what it was worth in terms of like, if you did a net present value of the next (laughs) X number of years or X sales or whatever, however people want to do evaluation. But I felt so confident and comfortable that people would, that, that it would still exist Mm -hmm. and she would be able to take it in her direction, but the core of what it was would remain. Right. And layout a day turned into a, kind of like an online store by the looks yes. of things. And is mm-hmm. that still bringing in income? It does. Occasionally I'll get a sale every now and then. I'm actually getting ready to do a big closing sale, uh, which you're the first one to hear that. <laughs> um, so I've been working with Jamie Masters, who was previously Jamie Tardy of Eventual Millionaire. Her last name is Masters now. And, yep, and, yep, and her her well. master, yeah, I'm in her mastermind group. And um, she was very instrumental over the last um, eight months, nine months, helping me figure out what the next step was for me and getting away from what I was doing, but not having to drop down to zero in terms of revenue to build back up. So how could I translate what I was doing and transition over? So she's been just a, just like my, my fairy godmother and helping me figure that out. Right. So, um, so we just did a, a one-on-one call a few days ago. And one of the action items that came out was that I'm going to close down the store. Cause it was there as a safety net. Like, okay, if this other stuff doesn't work, I can always go have another event. Because I still have the email list. I still have the store. I still have the platform. But I am ready now to say, okay, right. taking the training wheels off. <laughs> we can let that go and move on. No problem. So we've got about five minutes left, Lane. Yes. I want to. I have two things I want to ask you. Obviously, what do you do today? So I know, like, it sounds like we've caught you in a transition period. So it's probably almost not, you know, <laughs> if I ask you this now versus six months, it might even be different. <laughs> but <laughs> sort of. I know you've, you've got this wealth of experience now and, and uh, based on even just looking at your email signature and, and how we got in touch, I know you kind of work behind the scenes for other well-known marketers. Is that sort of the, the plan for the future? Yeah. So right now I am, I, I, when people ask me what I do, I say I work with six and seven figure entrepreneurs to help them um, make sure all pieces of their business are firing together. So a lot on content strategy, a lot on conversion strategy, a lot on sales funnel strategy. So because I've done everything from self-publish a book to traditionally publish book to putting on webinars and events to running a business, selling retail products, all this stuff, and because I stay on top of it, sometimes it's so helpful to have somebody with a an objective yet knowledgeable set of eyes come in and say, okay, where's the low hanging fruit for me? Where are my disconnects? As you know, entrepreneurs, oftentimes it's okay, slap this up over here. It's good enough. I'm going to go on and move on to this over here. I'm going to build this. We're spinning all the plates at once. So having somebody come in and say, okay, I'm going to look at the way everything's working and make sure you're getting the most from your efforts. Because sometimes what we created on day one and day 101 or year one and year five or two or whatever it might be, they don't fit any longer. But because something's there, we let it be because we're busy on to the next step. So I stop. I kind of do the freeze frame, look at everything, especially through the eyes of communicating with your your target market and um, make sure it's all coordinated. So what's what's the website for that now? It's just laneamon.com or Fast Lane. That's probably easier. F A S T L A I N. Fast Lane. 
and it'll it'll show you a little bit about what I do. I'm still blogging because I love to write so much. And as I mentioned, I do a lot on on communications and content because that's really the core to me of of um, where people can really improve their business um, revenue, growth, etc. Okay, and last question, the all-important question. So there's a person listening to this who might even be interested in scrapbooking, and they're at the other side of this, right at the beginning where you used to be, you know, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 15 years ago even. Mm-hmm. Um, they, and maybe not scrapbooking, they're a creative person, and they're, they're in love with the creative aspect of what they do, and they want to translate it into a six-figure income stream like you did. You took something you were skilled and passionate about and really involved with because of your family at the time into a six-figure online business based on you know blog, email list, and, and digital content. Now, it sounds like, and it's clear in the way you've described it, things have changed in script, scrapbooking, in the internet in general. So if someone came up to you today and said, listen, I want to translate my creativity, just as you did, into a six-figure online business, how do you advise them to do that right now? So, um, first of all, is looking at what other people are not doing. I'm very counterculture in that way. So if everybody says, oh, online summits are dead, I'm going to be finding a way to do an online summit bigger and better or different and more remarkable in some way. So don't follow the crowd. Um, and also be very leery of people who say, who try to sell you like the business in the box, like just do exactly what I did and you can have your six figure Kindle book business in six months. What I loved about what you and Gideon did is you didn't promise a particular outcome in terms of my business, but you said you will have these deliverables. You'll have a website, you'll have your email list, you'll have the basics of your blog put in place. Um, you taught me how and what to do. And then what I did with that was really up to me. And anybody who promises like a particular outcome in terms of, you know, buy Google traffic or buy, you know, Facebook ads or T-shirts, by the time that's a system, it's the gold rush is over. So look for people who will teach you the skills and then use those skills in a unique way. Awesome. So it sounds like you're really big on innovation and, and taking what's happening now and doing it differently or better. Uh, yes. Or even uh, looking at perhaps the next trend and, and uh, you know, I guess it's too late now for Instagram, but what's the next, you know, Instagram? <laughs> exactly. Yes. And that's my personality type. I think people can do that on a, a lower level too, but to be, to stand out and to draw your customers to you, you have to have something that's different. You can't really just have a me too business. It could be your personality. It could be the product. It could be the service. It could be the platform. Um, but something has to be different other than, oh, I'll just do it for a lower price because that's not a long-term <laughs> viable strategy. Okay, awesome. So, uh, Lane, thank you for sharing the whole story. That's great to hear from start to finish. Uh, obviously, it's not really finished, but it sounds like your scrapbooking days are, are done, but it, you had a yes. great business for a while. Uh, just one more time, the website to find you today. Fastlane.com, and it's L-A-I-N, Fastlane. Awesome. Anything else you want to throw out there before I wrap it up? I just want to thank you so much. As, as I said in my email, um, you are really a big part of this whole progress and, and journey that I've been on. And I just really should have emailed you long before 
six years or seven years to tell you that. <laughs> but uh, I am glad that we, I finally got a chance to, to thank you live because you really were a, um, a pivotal point for me, and I appreciate you. Yeah, I'm glad you did too. And you know, even if it's six years later, it's nice to get a surprise because people <laughs> pop up now and then. Oh, I took your course all the way back then, and it changed my life. So I love that. That's, that's awesome. That's great. Okay, Go thank ahead. you, Lane. And for everyone listening in, if you'd like to get the show notes or the transcript for this episode with Lane, you can do that at my blog, entrepreneurs-journey.com. Just go to the podcast section, or the simplest way to find it is to Google my name.